Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on April 25th, 2021, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Good morning. Every week we are looking more and more our former selves. And that is always encouraging. Today we continue on on our fourth Sunday of Easter. I would like to defer to Steve if he has any additional announcements uh, with regarding the, the ongoing pen pal program or... Excellent. Bob, do you have anything that you'd like to highlight? We're going to get one of those glass top sanctuaries so we can just pull the, you know, right? Well, we do, have another Sloan, we do have another Sloan wedding coming up, and that's usually when we get our renovations, so I'm just putting that on record now. Mike, we want a retractable roof. <laughs> if, we, if we have no additional announcements, then uh, let, us, let us have our prelude.
I invite you to join together in the invocation section of our bulletin. God be with you. Let us pray. O God, whose Son, Jesus, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our opening hymn is number 13. Please uh, rise as you are able. join together in our responsive reading, which is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his name's sake. Spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Thank you. 
Our first lesson today for the fourth Sunday of Easter is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done by someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Here ends the reading. The epistle lesson for today is 1 John from chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. Here ends the epistle reading. The gospel for this Sunday comes to us from John chapter 10, verses 11 through eight. A reading from the gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not know me, but they belong to this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing the Holy Word.
Let us pray. Joyfully, Lord, we greet you this morning, asking that you would continue to be our champion and our guide. You would invite us into the interior space where we can reflect on these commandments that you have laid out before us, and that we could see the place where your spirit intersects with ours, and we can move forward together, a united front, serving and blessing, and experiencing you at new levels and new depth. May you continue to guide us in the way of truth, patience, and love, as the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts are lifted up to you. May you continue to keep your eye upon us and bless and guide us now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Good Shepherd Sunday is what they call this in the lectionary. And of the passages that we heard read this morning, each one you can see and hear the theme that runs through that of Jesus giving his life up for those he is charged to, to care for. None of the passages that we've heard are probably as familiar to us as the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is probably a passage that we know by rote. It is the one passage that we can almost guarantee will be used at a funeral or memorial service. It has a staying quality and a potency about it that perhaps maybe we've never bothered to question. We just know it is a go-to passage in times of need. So today, since the 23rd Psalm finds us at this place in the season of resurrection, and since it has an enduring quality to it, I want to take a few minutes to meditate on the 23rd Psalm in relationship to this definition of God and our role as God's people on the basis of this definition. So if you'll bear with me, I will read the 23rd Psalm once again, and then let's just get into it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul and guides me right along pathways for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord bless the reading and the hearing of this holy word. So imagine yourself at a memorial service, and we get to the part of the service where the psalm is read, whether responsively, like we did this morning, or by a single liturgical figure reading it and immersing ourselves. And in that context of that service, we realize that we are there to pay respects to a life that has been lived, a life that has been reclaimed by God, an individual whose life intersected with ours, whose life added color and meaning and vitality to our own life, 
and we come to pay respects to them. All the while, in the midst of that memorial service or that funeral, we are hoping that the signs of a gracious and a loving God will manifest. Funerals are for the living. We celebrate the deceased, but make no mistake, when we come to funerals, we are seeking for any words of comfort and solace. We bind ourselves together as the people of God and hope that we will make it through this sorrowful time. What are things that we need to hear in the midst of that service? The enduring promise that God is with us, especially at that hour and that moment of great need, when your heart is breaking open because it has been disrupted by the death of somebody close to you. The 23rd Psalm never disappoints. It's always consistent in that promise that, first of all, we know who our guide is. The psalmist says, God is our shepherd, using that metaphor that we are part of that great flock. And that there's a consistency in this shepherd, that this shepherd desires our well-being, desires not to lead us into confusion, not to put us in harm's way, but that this shepherd leads us to lush green pastures where food is plentiful and besides still waters where we can drink our fill. This is not a shepherd that plays fast and loose with our lives, that leads us to the brink of the abyss and then pulls back, leaving us to struggle. This is a shepherd who has already preconceived the best places to go and leads us there personally and will keep us company while we explore this new terrain. And make no mistake about it, when we find ourselves at a funeral, it is new terrain because we are now trying to wrap our heads around what it's going to be like to live in the absence of whoever it is we're burying. So we enter into that space with hearts open, eyes open, no mistake about it. We need God to enter into that vacancy. We need the assurance that there is a loving God who knows exactly the gravity of our hurt and our pain and will fill that with abundant love. So if I'm at a funeral... And the 23rd Psalm is read. I'm going to cleave to verse 4 here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And why is that? Because God is with me. And if God is indeed with me, and if God knows exactly what I need, and will choose the best for me, then what have I to fear? We always know that every... Funeral service is a little tinge of someday, someday. It's going to be a service like that for us. Oh, I know we don't like to think about these things. But seriously, let's talk plainly. How many of us haven't had a touch of that in the past year? Watching the numbers of people who were alive and vibrant one moment and then laid out, put in freezer trucks because the sheer volume of the people who were passing away was more than those who were responsible with reclaiming the bodies could keep up with. And that mortality 
draped over us like a wet blanket. And every day we woke in 2020, we realized, will it come for us? Is today my day? Somebody that I know, will they succumb to this? We live in the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us still very much in that valley. So the psalmist moves us from a notion of God as guide, as shepherd, as caretaker, to the role of host. And now we have this this juxtaposition that takes place right here in the middle of the psalm, and we go, wait a minute, we were in fields, lush green pastures and still waters. Now we're at a table in the presence of those, in the King James Version, in the presence of mine enemies. In this softer, gentler translation, it's in the presence of those who trouble me. Mm. Maybe it takes away some of this thing, but basically the point is that the psalmist is like difficult people, jerks. Scabs, hard to deal with, hard to love individuals. So there are words in the 23rd Psalm for those of us who are still very much in the living. There's comfort for those of us who find ourselves at that point where life intersects with death. And there's comforting words about God being consistent with us in the time of greatest need in the valley of the shadow of death. But there's also this invitation here that God says, for those of us who still have living to do, for those of us who will exit the doors of the sanctuary, for those of us who will return back to our life's responsibilities in the domestic sphere and in the commercial sphere, for those of us who still have the breath of life and must apply ourselves, there is words of comfort and accountability in here. Now, I've always maintained, and I've always believed at least during my time as a minister, that the best work that Jesus did, the most consistent work that Jesus did, was that of being a reconciler, of righting wrongs, of finding individuals who were infirmed or cast out or passed over, and he went and he ministered specifically to those individuals. Even though his disciples would sometimes wring their hands and say, we're out of our neighborhood, we're out of our territory, we're out of our depth, these are not our people, we shouldn't be serving them, They're Gentiles, they're they're, they're Samaritans, they're not of us. They don't appreciate our ways. And Jesus is like, but these, these, as the Gospel of John intimates, are the sheep. I I have members of other flocks. I have sheep that I will bring them also into this pasture that we may be all one flock. So Jesus, in his reconciling work, going to neighboring towns and villages, ministering to the least of these, those who had infirmities, those that society is like, I can't deal with those people, they're sick. And Jesus went and ministered to them. Who else can set us down at a table in the presence of those who trouble us, of those who are difficult, of those who are other, of those who are different? Who else can sit us down at a table in the presence of those and anoint our heads with oil and have our cups of blessing filled to the brim that they're spilling over. Who else can do that but God? Because we know our own human capacity. We, we have set for ourselves uh, three strikes and you're out or 
No more am I going to allow myself to be abused by these individuals. No more am I going to be their fool. They're not going to play me anymore. We have limits. We have term limits of patience with individuals. And when they have worn us out, we end the subscription. We're, we're just through with them. And then we come and we hear this psalm. We hear this psalm, and the psalm reminds us, don't give up yet. Don't retire. Don't retreat. Because if we truly do believe that God is with us, and that God knows what's best for us, then God will allow us to sit down in those difficult spaces and find common ground, find reconciliation, hear from the opposing side and realize that there is no stored up conflict between us and them. This was manufactured. This was something that we created in order to keep certain types of policies and theories alive. And God says, do you really actually think that there is some actual noticeable difference between you and your neighbor? We bought that lie. We created that myth. We endure in that narrative. Because it works for us. It works for us. It's always so wonderful to be able to point at someone and say, God, glad I'm not like them. Look how miserable they are. Look at all the problems they make. Look at, look at, look at their very situation. It's always so wonderful. It's just liberating. It's liberating to be able to have someone that we can lay our burdens upon and to escape. But we are indicted by this 23rd Psalm because the 23rd Psalm says that God has brought us and our opposed enemy, our perceived enemy, back and set us down at the same table. Equal portions! Not only is our cup overflowing, but that means that the person across the table from us, they have to have an overflowing cup as well. Well, what do we make of that? Why is God, you, God you're pouring too much. You're giving them too much. God's like, they got the same portion you got. Eat, drink, be merry. And then it concludes with this sixth and final verse. Surely. God's goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's bring it full circle. As we receive this psalm in the various contexts of life, there's that understanding that we begin with God and we conclude with the consistency of still living in that promise. Now, I've set this 23rd Psalm up today as if this, if we accept this as our definition of God, if God is our consistently good shepherd desiring only the best in us and creating a space where we can heal and no longer focus upon difference and no longer go back and flood and talk about old history about how you wronged me or how I said something to you and you got cross-eyed about it. If God truly says, look, we're going to sit down at a table and we're going to start new. And I'm going to feed you with the bread of everlasting life. We won't think about what wrong we did to one another. Or how we betrayed and broke down and lost the promise. We're going to think about that. We're going to think about the fact that we are in this together and what might we be able to do with that. If this becomes our definition of God, then who are we in relationship to this God defined in this fashion? 
There's, an, there's a, an old saying, and I don't even know where it originated from, but it says, you are judged by the company that you keep. And when we're kids, that, that really, that rings home, right? You all knew who the bad, troublesome kids were in class, the ones who would always kind of cut up, disturb lessons, invade your learning. See, Millie's with me. She knows she was in the classroom. Millie's like, preach, brother, preach! Talk about the troublemakers of which I was one. Millie didn't have to have me as a student, but I guarantee you there are many of your colleagues who were like, whoo, that gentry boy. God help him. And God did. And God did help me, right? I'm still doing my penance. But we all know the kids who were just like, eh. I know if I, you know, they're colorful, they're interesting, but if you hang out with them, you're going to come home with muddy shoes. There was a time when, okay, tangent. What is William Gentry without his tangents? There's a tangent moment. In fourth grade, I was in a cast because I used to like to jump off of things. So I had a cast, and behind our school, we had this wetlands, a little bog down there, and we'd go in there, and we'd catch all sorts of things, little pollywogs and uh, mosquito larvae, just whatever was running around in the water. And I forgot that, you know, plaster casts are kind of susceptible to water, but I didn't care about that. <laughs> my, my friends are going to be in the bog. I was going to be in the bog, too. So I was down there, and we were happily catching things and putting them in bags and looking at them and taking them home, stickleback, minnows, all sorts of wonderful things. And I realized that as I, was, <laughs> as I was walking home, the cast was a little soggy, and the little foot peg that was on it was kind of like half hanging out. And I was like, oh, this is bad. I said, this is just all sorts of wrong. I won't be able to hide this from Mom. You know, like, I can't play this one off. What am I going to do? Run to the Dad's workshop and get some, I don't know, some plaster of Paris and try to, look, I fixed it myself. So I went home and with my bags of minnows, <laughs> and I had to quick concoct up a good story, which mom didn't buy anyway, because she knew I was wrong. I mean, I think the caked mud around the cast pretty much gave me away. And she's like, you with those boys again in the bog. I was like, well, I don't want to be left out. Because sometimes there's a little window of acceptance, and if you, don't, you know, if you don't get on board, the door closes. So I was hanging out with the bog boys, and as a result of it, I was carted back to the hospital to get a fresh cast and a lecture from the doctor about how we don't go into water with plaster casts. And he threatened me with a fiberglass cast if I didn't behave. So we are judged by the company that we keep. But what if we establish our company that we're keeping company with God? Who are we in relationship to this God? How then do we conduct ourselves amongst God's people, understanding that we are connected and bound by this good shepherd? What then might that look like? Now, some of the other passages that we heard this morning really go long and strong about giving one's life for the other, laying down one's life. And I know that 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 is language that we so often attribute to those in the armed forces. It's like they paid the ultimate sacrifice that we might enjoy these rich liberties. But Jesus puts that out as sort of a blanket invitation to anyone who would dare to follow him. That part of the cross is not only dealing with the, the difficult intersectionalities of life and the difficult experiences, but it's also possibly maybe even going to the point where our very life might have to be required from us. And that's usually where we draw the line. 
Because we say, well, I, I, I might give myself up for those in my immediate family. And even then, we kind of go, I don't know. <laughs> but just for anybody? Let's look at it this way. God is asking us as disciples, what risks are we willing to incur in order that we might be in this service to one another? If the risk might actually be our life is required of us, okay. But how many of us are willing to just rearrange a schedule? Rearrange a schedule in order that we might uh, offer some level of assistance to put off that thing that we would rather be doing for this thing that is needed at the moment. Perhaps maybe the sacrifices that we are called to offer are more or less sort of inconveniences of time and talent and being able to apply those in such a way to where there's a noticeable difference made in the life of another who doesn't have what we have and who needs what we can provide. If God has taken such great pains in order to create the best possible living space for us, lead us to the best pastures, lead us to the finest of streams, places us down at a table whereby the food is not only plentiful, but we no longer see a difference between who's dining with us. If God is able to do that, how then are we in relationship to this individual? How might the landscape and the fabric of not only our houses of worship, but our collective call as the people of God change in this world? A few weeks ago, I said that there's a tremendous amount of work for us to do as people of faith. The question is, is just sorting out what are going to be our target items and how might we apply that to our context? What do we think McGregor and surrounding areas truly needs from us as a people of God? What consistent narrative are we called to sort of interject into our daily conversation and our daily conduct of living to let people know that there is a God, a great God and shepherd who really truly desires the best for us and wants us to follow in those footsteps, not to scatter, not to disregard, not to lead others into harm's way, but to truly bring and fashion a community of solidarity where every life is valued, every individual, every voice, every opinion considered. And as we recognize that as our lives at this point in time intersect with what seems like exceeding volatility across the globe, and in our own personal spaces, individuals who just, I'm not talking to them anymore in this sort of disassociative epidemic that is overtaking us, where the only way we deal with one another is to not deal with one another. We have to return back to this Lord who is our shepherd. Where does he want us to go? And if he wants us to go there, can we rest with the, with the comfort that he is with us? Can we do this thing that God wants us to do because we are assured of his companionship? 
I mean, if I was called to go out there and, and, and just love individuals and I didn't have the assurance in my mind that God was with me, I guarantee that's exceedingly more difficult than if I feel like, okay, God, are you with me? Because I'll enter into this space if, if I can feel you with me. I will go and do this thing if you give me the assurance that you're with me because I can't do it without you. I don't want to do it without you. I don't even like these people without you. But if you're with me, I know that you can sit me down at the table. There'll be reconciliation. There'll be peace. There'll be harmony. We'll see one another. We will hear one another. Because there are conversations right now that are swirling around in our political sphere that could use an interjection of the 23rd Psalm. Where we could have the 23rd Psalm come back in there and we realize that God is sitting at the table with us, that God is the host of the meal, that God is the one that should be driving the conversation. So therefore, there's no perceived difference anymore. I suppose if you haven't gathered by now, I have grown exceedingly fatigued of the polarization. I'm sure you have as well. It's so burdensome, it's so heavy. How much longer must we keep these divisive opinions going? Why do we even wanna keep these flames alive? Some fires are okay being extinguished. Some things we can let go. And anything that doesn't leave room for this definition of God Anything that does not have a reconciling tinge on it, the flavor of beginning again, things of renewal, anything that doesn't share in that kind of life that God wants us to give, discard, delete, erase, bury. There's no future in it. We can lie to one another and say, oh no, we've got to take a stand. Okay, we do, but not for some foolishness, not for some slogan that can be put on a yard sign or on a banner that fly over your house. I'm not going to stake my claims on that garbage. This, this psalm stuff, I could get down with that. I could hear this psalm for the rest of my life. And never master it, but never tire of hearing it, because I always hear the challenge in there. There's always that little nudge that says, William, you can do better. I am with you. And I hope you hear that psalm in an equally compelling fashion. Amen. Oh, we join together in our response of hymn number 217. I was ready to meditate.
we take this time to join for our fellowship of prayer. And as we present our prayers before God, let us remember those in our hearts who are sick and suffering, both in body, mind, and spirit. Let us pray. We set ourselves before you today, God, and we reflect upon your invitation to join you at table with those that we've often seen on the other side of issues. These are not words that are lost on us. We have taken the past year to define ourselves on this or that issue, many conversations of the day which find us reluctant to even hear a contrary opinion to what we have already discerned is our truth. We haven't really thought much about this notion that comes to us in the 23rd Psalm about being at table with those who are troublesome or those who find us troublesome. We know what we know, we accept what we accept, and the devil may care about anyone else. But then you challenge us. You invite us into a new dwelling space. You invite us to the table of reconciliation. You lead us through the most difficult patches of life. You remind us of the consistent witness that endures. You encourage us, lovingly so, to not seek difference, to not double down on the parts we want to play. But you challenge us to hear others, to try to come to understand their narrative. And in the hearing comes the possibility of renewal. I ask as we move forward, as a people of faith, that you would help us to incline our ear a bit more each day to how you would envision our conversations, how our day unfolds, how, though we are eager quick to render our opinion, what would happen if we just fell silent for a moment? Not eager to establish our platform, but to just hear, to listen, to discern what's out there, to find the common threads. I mean, there's only so many reins of human emotion anyway. Why do we think we're so vastly different? Lay your blessing on those who are sick and suffering, those in hospital, those recovering from procedures, those who are facing very grave health. We ask, Lord, that you would bless and guide those who are not only in the midst of health concerns, but for those relatives 
who have never lost hope, never will lose hope, continue to lift them up in prayer, that something, hopefully anything, may be able to address these concerns and prolong life. It is a great opportunity that we have to be positive, to think positive, to be a people of hope. And it's only when our back is against the wall that we realize just how sweet hope truly is. We don't cling to it desperately. It is our anchor and our mainstay. It is the very vehicle by which we can shift a community. An enthusiastic person full of hope leaves an indelible imprint upon an otherwise cynical mass. I suppose Jesus has been the hope, riding the currents of history to keep us from dissolving into deep skepticism, malaise, and resignation. We are gathered here in these houses of worship across the globe because you have breathed hope into us and you allow us to see it for ourselves. We believe you. We trust you, even in the inconsistencies of our daily faith. We know that you bring the goods, and for that we are grateful. So receive now the prayers that we set before you today, our own joys and concerns. Receive them for the sake of he who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Merciful God, receive these, the prayers of your people, set and offered to you. Receive them. Let your blessing and your spirit fall afresh upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And in Micah 6.8, the prophet says, And to what shall I give God? Shall I bring the firstborn for the sin of my soul? 
And the prophet replies, mortal, God has told you what he wants, but to love justice, seek kindness, to walk humbly with God. As we present our gifts to God, I invite our usher to come forward to receive the offering. invite you to join together in our covenant, which is printed on the front cover of our hymnal. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God of grace and glory, power and might, God who opens the eyes of those blind, opens the tongues of those mute, brings clarity to those confused and courage to those faint of heart, you redeem us you renew us. You never allow us to settle upon 
the disappointments that so often visit us in life, you give us hope. Let now that hope be bolstered and renewed as we receive this meal of reconciliation, us reconciling ourselves to you and hopefully to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal. He took bread and divided it and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Then they shared the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take and receive the cup of life. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Bless you. Loving and most merciful God, giving you thanks. For you know the desires of our heart. At least we can admit that to you. You know our capacity. You know our soft sport. You know our vulnerabilities. You hold none of that against us. You also know what we're capable of. The depth of love and compassion the patience that we can exude. You know all about that even probably better than we do. And so for this meal that you have given us, which is a reminder of your absolution, a clear sign of your reconciliation, an unmistakable, indelible imprint of your grace, we thank you. Revive and renew us. Send us out into that great harvest let us not get lost in the weeds, for we are pleased to be in your service. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. We join together in our closing hymn, and I believe that is 543. Most merciful God, look with favor upon your people 
They've all been created and established in your image and filled with your gifts. Guide them safely and securely. And may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace.